Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson from High Point Church. Hey there. And once again with Michael Matheson Miller. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Um, this is part two from last week's discussion, and so we're just going to jump into it. Um, if you want the introductions, if you want the kind of figure out what what the basis of what we're talking about is, and go back to that last um, podcast and listen to that before you listen to this one. Um, this one is more on government and how should Christians interact with the government now. Knowing more about our anthropology and more about Christian justice, it, it, it seems like the next step is, okay, so then how should we order ourselves and govern ourselves as people? And so um, we'll start with what you have as the 10 key elements of Christian influence on the state. If you want to go through those and... We can either. Why don't I read them? And you can read them. Okay. Maybe like just clarifying comments to start with. And sure. Then we'll go back sure. and get it in them. Okay. So th- these are the 10 key elements of Christian influence on the state. So in, um, in the talk Michael does mm-hmm. in the Acton University um, context, he talks about how like this, the way human beings have looked at the state changed with mm-hmm. Christianity and Christian faith created Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. tradition, created a change in the way we view the state. And some of these are now being lost, but these are sure. cataclysmic changes. Okay. So here's what they're one is that the state is not divine. Um, that the church is not the state. And there, then by definition, there's a limit on the state because the mm-hmm. church exists. Right. The second is the state is not the arbiter of justice, mm-hmm. right? Justice comes from truth, not power. And so justice doesn't, what justice is, does it come from the state? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? The third is the importance of the common good, that the goal of the state and society is the common good, mm-hmm. right? Fourth is the social nature of human beings, mm-hmm. that we are social by nature. Therefore, having a society, a polis, and therefore a state is a good, not just an evil, mm-hmm. right? There are evil things about government, but mm-hmm. government isn't an evil, uh, right? Yeah. And that, that can get a little complicated when you talk about how Samuel talks about the Jewish people receiving a king. But we oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we can um, talk about that. Fifth is the importance and centrality of the human family that bad versions of government have always found the family as ordered in scripture as God's first pre-political institution Mm -hmm. threatening the family because the family is like a kingdom unto itself Mm -hmm. and the transmitter of culture and humanity Mm -hmm. in the state wants to be that right when it gets too big for its britches and unlimited in the nature of what it should be Mm -hmm. uh, there's conflict between the state and the family sure and then uh, six is the role of justice in natural law and determining what is right. So um, justice is ordered in natural law, which, it, which is that is what we would determine to be just with the right use of reason. Mm-hmm. Right. And that uh, that is how we determine what's right. And so this concept of natural law was developed mostly within the Christian tradition, even though you can find forms of it in people like Aristotle and so on. Right. Mm-hmm. And then seven is existence and public, public stability of private property that um, Christianity, Judeo-Christianity has always affirmed this concept that people can own land and property. And that is the context in which the family can flourish, do its duties and have a life unto itself and have the capacity to fulfill its responsibilities of love towards others. Hmm. Right. And then the right of free association that the government shouldn't be able to tell you who your friends are, who your wife is going to be and so on, that the right to associate with each other beneath the state and what we call civil society. That is that which is between the individual and the state uh, every, all of the different organizations of human beings between the state and the individual mm-hmm. is really what most of life is supposed to be made up of. Mm-hmm. 
And we're supposed to be free to create those associations. The state is not supposed to be telling us how to do that. Mm. Right. And then the reality of sin and its indications towards corruption, mm. right? That sin exists. We're not angels and we need to curtail corruption. And then the last is anti-utopianism. Christian, Christian has always said the state cannot solve the endemic problems of human beings, sin, suffering, death, mm-hmm. and so on. It can make certain things better. It can alleviate certain kinds of sufferings, but it does not cure the, like the primordial mm-hmm. sickness in the human heart. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I will say that what, what we're going to do with these 10 is that obviously if we went through all 10 of them, I think we'd be here for a long, long time, which would probably be fun, but I don't know if people would listen anymore after a while. Um, so what, what we'll do is we'll kind of highlight. Multitasking yeah, other things. Exactly. Like turning off the <laughs> podcast. Right. Um, so what we'll do is we'll highlight a couple of them and talk through them because I know that, I mean, even you just reading them out, is a lot to take in. Yeah. So like, like we, we, we kind of yeah. highlight I think some, it's, I think yeah. it's important to recognize, um, when Michael puts these 10 together in mm-hmm. the talk, he does, he's not saying this is all Christians should know about the state. What he's saying is Christianity has been unique in the history of the world in enacting upon this concept of mm-hmm. the state or government or how we live together. These 10 things, these are, mm-hmm. these are unique to Christian faith and they were contributions to human society. Mm -hmm. So they should be recognized as part of the heritage of Christianity and the gracious gift of God. But also we need to hold on to them. Mm -hmm. If you move away from God, you end up moving away from these things when you don't even know it. And it can Mm -hmm. lead to enormous human destruction, Mm -hmm. self-misunderstanding, injustice, and so on. Sure. So we'll start with the second one that says the state is not the arbiter of justice. Yeah. What does this mean? So I know you kind of gave a little bit of a brief Right, because um, the state yeah. the state is supposed to make laws and yes, it's supposed to right. support justice by punishing the evildoer and right. rewarding those who do good. Right. But it also doesn't get to determine what the truth is mm-hmm. in relationship to what is owed what, to people. Is, that is yeah. beyond the state and the state can discover it and recognize it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't create it. Right. I think so. Actually, there's one other one that that um, is kind of combined in number one that I think <laughs> is really important to say. So I'll start with that really quickly. It's a, it sounds a little confusing. So the first one, right, the state is not divine. Yeah. Um, Christianity desacralizes the state. Mm-hmm. And this is really important. Okay, what I mean by desacralizes is it makes it not sacred. That is, mm-hmm. Caesar, right, is divine. Mm-hmm. The emperor of China, divine, right? The state is God. Yeah. The emperor right. is God. The pharaoh, pharaoh, the pharaoh is pharaoh the son of God himself. The son of God himself, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so Christianity, Judaism, and then Christianity says, no, the state is not divine or sacred it has a temporal character mm-hmm. and this limits the state because mm-hmm. now religion is not is is separate from the state mm-hmm. and this goes to the question of how the state is not divine the state is not sacred and now it leads us to your question of mm-hmm. it's not the arbiter of truth mm-hmm. so if caesar is god mm-hmm. god makes the rules the state determines what's right. The right. state determines what's wrong. There's no appealing mm-hmm. to Caesar outside the state. Yeah. Okay. Right. So the state is the arbiter, the decider of mm-hmm. justice and truth. Mm-hmm. All right. So right. whatever the king says is the law mm-hmm. and whatever the king says is true. Right. right. You follow? So, yes. so yes. what Christianity says, no, actually, right. there's a God and you're not him. Mm-hmm. Therefore... Even the emperor Mm. has to live under the law of God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now there's the Mosaic law, 
right? 613 mm-hmm. commandments. But there's also just the divine, we'll call it broadly the divine law and natural law. Mm-hmm. Natural law in the tradition means basically the human being's access to the eternal law of God. Right? Not mm-hmm. perfect, but you have a sense like don't kill, don't steal, right? Stuff that's in the mm-hmm. Ten commandments, okay? Mm-hmm. So there's a famous story, which I, I, I tell some people may know about it. Like if you think about like, like ancient China or Egypt, right? You would actually sometimes have the retainers, like the servants of the king, the pharaoh, be killed along with the pharaoh when he died and buried along with him to serve him in the afterlife. Okay, so there's this like God quality. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in contrast, is, a, is I think a story that helps understand this, explain this. So Theodosius was the emperor of Rome. He was a Christian emperor. It was after the conversion of Constantine. He was a Christian emperor. And at the time of Theodosius' reign, in Thessaloniki in Greece, okay, uh, where Paul was, right, writing mm-hmm. letters there, um, there was a, this is later, this is the 400s, mm-hmm. there was a, uh, a riot because one of the famous uh, sports guys, the charioteer, was actually arrested. He was arrested for lewd behavior, and there he's put in jail. Well, this was like the sports star, mm-hmm. Thessaloniki, and mm-hmm. so the Thessalonians rioted, and they actually killed some Roman soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really like touching here in in Wisconsin because our great sports hero is Greek. So yeah, Giannis. Giannis, let's go. Like our best basketball Giannis player is Greek. So it's a little bit like him getting arrested right before the playoffs and exactly. thrown in jail exactly. for like being with the wrong woman somewhere. So like, like oh. there would probably might there would actually be, a riot. be, be riots, a riot. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we're, this is where things. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Okay, so there's riots in the streets with sports fans. So um, a, a couple of soldiers were killed. Yeah. So Theodosius is like, all right, what am I going to do? So he's a Christian emperor. So he says, all right, I know what we're going to do. I'm going to let bygones be bygones. And I'm going to throw a party as like a, a big kind of celebration. And we're going to have chariot races in the Coliseum next Saturday. All right. So everybody, you can imagine just like going to a Badger game over mm-hmm. here, right? Everybody. Like free is, bucks tickets for yeah, everybody. Free bucks right. tickets. Exactly. All right. So everybody's going to, they, they all go into the stadium mm-hmm. and they didn't get a chariot race. Mm-hmm. He sent his army in and he killed 7,000 men, women, and children. Uh, he says, do not mess with Rome. Hmm. Okay. Well, I told you he was a Christian. So he <laughs> went to church not long after. And at the door of the church was Ambrose, who was the Bishop of Milan. And Ambrose said, you can't come in. Hmm. Now, like, wait, what do you mean? I can't come in. I'm the emperor. I do what I want. Mm-hmm. And Ambrose says, no, you can't come in. What you did was morally evil. And you must repent, confess your sins, and amend your life mm. before you can come in. And he did. Mm. Like, it's amazing that Ambrose was courageous to say it. But maybe more amazing is Theodosius is like, okay, you're right. <laughs> so he confessed. Mm-hmm. And so obviously, like, I'm not saying that the church and, 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 and the state have always been perfect. I mean, there's always been a Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox. They've all, there's mess, errors all over the place. But really key to Christianity is that the emperor does not decide what's true and right. Mm-hmm. And even the emperor has to confess his sins. Mm-hmm. Even the emperor can be held accountable. And that's mm-hmm. what I mean by that the state is not the, not the arbiter of justice. Mm-hmm. And there's one really important point for us, because that sounds like, okay, big deal. We're not under Roman law. Even the majority mm-hmm. it's not right. cannot dictate injustice. Because the majority, there are some rights 
that even the major, that the majority has no right to annul. Mm -hmm. right? Would you say many rights? Many, yeah. yeah. Sure, many. Yeah, yeah the, the, in some ways, from a Christian perspective, the majority in a democratic society has no more right to dictate than a king does. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, so they can only dictate what is morally right. Right. Otherwise, you're a dictator. Right. right? And yeah. just because you hide among the mob of the majority mm. doesn't make you any less of an immoral dictator than right. Theodosius or somebody who thinks that they can dictate that, which is not in accordance with the moral law. And right. people don't think, I just guarantee you, very few people in America think about democracy that way. Right. Well, that's yeah. actually, that's why I brought it up. All because right. when you hear that story, you're like, oh, good. Whew. Glad we don't live in those days when there are dictators. Yeah. Like, well, actually, right. we, we always live. Under the tension right. of dictators. And right. I th think about right. the word too. Um, dictate. I'm going to say it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to dictate to you what the situation is. Right. Right. So the state, whether it's the emperor or the majority, cannot simply dictate what is. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It is limited. Right. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it becomes a dictatorship yeah. of the majority or of, of, of the king. And that's why it's not the arbiter of truth and justice. That extends beyond the state. Right. And that destroys both the two things that America says it holds right here, which is justice and liberty, right? Mm -hmm. It undoes the liberty of the human person. And it also creates a dynamic of, of injustice. We aren't giving right. to people what they're doing. And we can agree. I mean, I think that from the Christian perspective, we can agree on that. The, I think the problem is that we don't live in a world with a bunch of Christians. And so like as believers, we have to, somehow deal with the fact that there's going to be dictators and people who are going, and there's going to be the masses who might agree with the dictator that they might become the dictators. You know, like we don't, we don't have, we Christians generally throughout history haven't had, well, maybe I'm not right about this, but as far as I know, we don't have the say in like what is right and wrong all the time. Well, sometimes, we sometimes we actually Christians ran evil regimes that did harm. True. And other times yeah. good regimes. So, I mean, right. yeah. but if it, it and, and so it, even Christian kings are still yeah. under the, like, under like Theodosius, the, yeah. right? Even Christian kings, right. Christian parliaments. Um, you know, we, we, you could say that the United States was more or less a mm -hmm. Christian run nation mm -hmm. and we had the injustice of slavery. Mm -hmm. So how do you talk to, I mean, what do you talk, how do you talk to somebody about that? Because I'm, I'm thinking about, I mean, there's a lot of Christians. There's, I mean, I think there's just a, some sort of study done or pulled on, on, on millennial Christians. And there was like a huge percentage over 50% of millennial Christians think that it's wrong to even evangelize their faith to somebody else in America. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we don't want to push our viewpoints on other people, but like here you guys are saying that like, if, if, if we don't push, push our viewpoint, I mean, if we don't put our viewpoints on other people, then automatically there's going to be somebody else who puts their viewpoints on us. That's what, I mean, somebody's going to dictate the conversation yeah. around what is right and wrong and what is just and what is, and yeah. But part of the difference, and, and um, Michael brought this up today, but many people have said this, is that the, the concept of the natural law and the right ordering of reason is the only alternative to the force of power, right? Either I am constrained to act because Michael tells me something that's the truth, and I have conscience. I'm a morally virtuous person. Mm -hmm. And so when he tells me the truth, that I have to respond to it. I make myself respond to it. He doesn't have to force me. I force myself because mm -hmm. it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Now, if I don't, and then I can tell him something is the truth. He has to respond to it because it's the truth. The minute you take that away, mm -hmm. that we no longer say, well, what is real? What is true? And mm -hmm. what should we do? All that's left is power, hmm. right? So the Christian view is not, if we don't exert our power, other people are going to exert their power on us. Right. That I would argue that that is a, the bad version of a Trumpianism. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like some people that supported president Trump would say, we need big government. 
controlled by Republicans that will fight for us like yeah. Donald Trump, because yeah. otherwise other people are going to take power and they're going to put their boot on our neck and we don't want that. So we want to use power. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think Michael and I are both from this um, ideologically from this realm of conservatism that you might call Burkean conservatism, which mm -hmm. is like, like, no, you, civil society is where everything should be happening for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like not the government, not the individual. We're all connected in all these like relationships. And that's where most of the things should be happening. Mm -hmm. That is where we're free, but we're bound by responsibility to others. Mm -hmm. The minute you get into this situation where like, and so in those situations, we tell each other the truth. We're all supposed to be interacting based on virtue and responsibility. Yeah. The minute you refuse that, you say, well, I don't have to do that. I don't believe in those things. There's no truth. Well, all that's left is power. And that's, that's when things get really awful, mm. right? Either, either it becomes awful and then somebody puts their boot on your neck mm. or maybe even worse, you become the person who starts putting your boot on other people's necks. Well, some, okay. I'm going to say this. I'm going to sound like a terrible person, but if somebody has got to put their boot on somebody else's neck and aren't, I mean, I want to be the one to do that. Right. I, you like, sure? I don't know. I like, to, may, like, to, are you sure? Maybe <laughs> not if you believe in hell. Well, so, you know, yeah. uh, Socrates <laughs> pre-Christian. Uh, says it's better to suffer injustice than to commit it. Mm -hmm. And Peter says something yeah. close to that too, yeah. doesn't right. he? Right. So, it, yeah, I think that's a. So there's. I think there's two two things. One on the question of millennials. I think one thing we have to keep in mind is there's no such thing as neutrality. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this goes back to the. the there's yeah. the bad way of thinking about it. It's my power or your power. My boot on your neck or your boot on my neck. Mm -hmm. But there's also okay. We're not in a neutral situation. So. What do we want? A power-based situation? Or do we want to make the case for justice rooted in the dignity of the human person and reason and natural law? Hmm. Let's make that case. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, I think we should be not only shy, we should be enthusiastic to make the case for justice and for the dignity of human persons. Hmm. Right. I think so that so yeah. let's let's evangelize. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's obviously then then the question of like evangelizing that you need the personal friendship with Jesus Christ. Okay? Yes. But in the, in this realm of like, yeah, let's talk about it. I think so. That's, that's one thing. I mean, second of all, I mean, pastor Nick said this, uh, I think per almost perfectly, right. That if there's no justice, if anything goes, right. Then what we have is power. And so the, this, there's a famous line, the dictatorship of relativism. And that sounds kind of mm. weird. Like, wait, I thought there would be a dictatorship of absolutism. Mm. Right. And relativism means, can't we all just get There's along? no absolute. So how could there be a dictatorship? There's right. nothing absolutely to dictate. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's okay. But in like, the absence of truth, somebody steps in to dictate. Exactly. Because without if, the rule of law, there's a rule of man. Right. See, see, I don't, I don't say anything. This is the best. <laughs> I love being the guest. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be the guest every week. There you this go. is perfect. Come I don't have to do any work. Yeah. It's the best over yeah. here. No, but it's exactly right because... If, if, if relativism holds together, there's no truth. Okay. Yeah. If there's no truth, there's no standard. Mm -hmm. If there's no standard that any, everyone can appeal to, who makes the standards? Mm -hmm. Those with power. Right. So justice is the rule of the stronger. And you yeah. have to like agree that like there's a hierarchy in which power plays itself out before that. Like, cause somebody would be like, well, why can't somebody, why can't nobody take power? Yeah. So and part you, of the issue there is, is that because, matter. because yeah, in I, anarchy, people yeah. seek security. Right. And when they seek yeah. security, they, they seek somebody who is powerful enough to protect them. Right. And then. Well, anarchy is dangerous, right? So security means you, you, 
then you the, yeah whoever can keep you safe is yeah. dangerous to others and that same dangerous to others can become dangerous to you which which gets back to this idea that like you know god gives gives the jewish people a moral law and judges mm-hmm. but that's really not enough at some point they say we want a king to go out and fight our battles right right and and samuel goes okay now be careful yeah, because because the same guy that can go and take the heads of the Philistines can mm-hmm. come and take the best of everything of yours. Mm-hmm. And he goes through and he's like, the best of your daughters will, be, will become his perfumers. The best of your sons right. will be his soldiers. The best of your food will be at his table. The best of your, the best of your everything like will be his. If you want this to go well, take. you have to bank on that. They have integrity or something like that. Yeah. That, that and and, and, and right. a, a man after his God's own heart and things still went bad. Still went. Yeah. 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 First you right. get the man <laughs> who's taller than all the rest. Yeah. Who is the greater human specimen. Mm-hmm. He fails. Right. That's Saul. And then you get the man after God's own heart, David. He fails. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you get David's son, this like the, the wisest, wisest man of all time. ever to yeah. live. And, and he, he goes and associates with the nations. Right. Yeah. And then his son. Right. A disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So because, uh, you know, I work at the Acton Institute right. and it's mm-hmm. named after Lord Acton. Uh, and Lord Acton has a famous line, which is power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts. Yeah. Absolutely. So the reality is, I mean, we live in a world that's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And I think we kind of take things for granted. Like we're in Madison. It's easy. I walk out. You don't need to have sidearms all the time. You don't walk with guards. Everything's pretty safe. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's dangerous parts, but I mean, this is not like we're not in a a chaotic war zone. So what we kind of think is this is normal. That's not normal. That's because we live under rule of law, which is the opposite of rule of men. You take Mm -hmm. away rule of law. Take away power, there will become chaos, chaos mm-hmm. in the streets. When there's chaos in the streets, right, the world's a very dangerous place. Yeah. And and so we we have to make sure that we don't just kind of fall into the place. Like, and oh, that, right. um, I just walked out of the coffee shop and got coffee that, you know, was imported uh, from Tanzania. It just mm-hmm. kind of popped here out of nowhere. No, actually, there's deep, complex mm-hmm. layers of civilization that we're taking for mm-hmm. granted. And right. a lot of it comes down to rule of law. And justice. Well, and I mean, you're, we're seeing that play itself out across the country in some ways, because I actually live in Minneapolis where there isn't much rule of law. They've defunded the police almost completely. And the crime has skyrocketed like hundreds of percentage points up. And the things that we did take for granted now, it's like, I don't want my wife to go to the grocery store where we live alone because I, I, you don't know what can happen. And so it is something that we take for granted. Um, and okay, so I mean, should we move on to another highlighted point? Because I feel like we could continue to talk about about point two for forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's good to talk about a little bit about the government's ordering to the common yeah. good. Like, what what is the government supposed to be doing? Because sometimes people will say, yeah. yeah, if they think you're not progressive or socialist, they'll say, okay, well, you don't think the government should do anything, and that's not true. I mean. The famous libertarian Milton Friedman still believed the government had things it should do, right. but it was a limited number of things. Yeah. And this, like the government in some ways is like a tool, mm-hmm. like every tool is designed to do certain things well, and then it's not really designed to do other things. Yeah. And sometimes people believe that the government is like the toolbox mm-hmm. and it's got all your tools in it. It's like the back of your truck and like anything needs to be done. There's a tool in there for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but other, like other people have argued, no, the government is actually a certain kind of thing mm-hmm. and it's limited in what it does well. Sure. And so it, it, what it's supposed to do is to help to create an environment, a context in which the flourishing of civil society can take place. Mm-hmm. All these other ways humans arrange themselves in their social relationships mm-hmm. to create the good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you said it well. So the common good, the idea of the common good, um, isn't simply the good of the state, right? Because you would have the glory of the state 
while people are suffering in misery, uh-huh. right? So the common right. good isn't, doesn't equal the glory of the state. Mm-hmm. The common good doesn't equal the greatest good for the greatest number. Because then I could say, oh, okay, well, you know, 70% of us are doing well, so who cares about the 30, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the common good means following what you just said is it's the government has a role and a responsibility to help create the conditions of justice and security mm-hmm. and space so that people, groups, families can flourish, mm-hmm. right? Because the polis, the city, right? Mm-hmm. The city, the politic, the political community is a community of communities, mm-hmm. right? That's what it is. It's a community mm-hmm. of communities. And that the government has the role to create that space uh, for flourishing. And so um, point two related, like, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, you know, that means the government shouldn't do anything. Well, we're going to talk later about private property and clear title to land. Yeah. We've talked about rule of law and mm-hmm. justice. We've talked about security and safety, right? Yeah. National defense, uh, police forces, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, justice in the courts. There's a huge role for government. Yeah. But the government creates the conditions then for people to solve mm-hmm. problems yeah. in ways that are close to them. The government doesn't solve the problems. It creates the conditions for those. Yeah. For the, those I, think, I think one of the ways that like, like a, a Burkean like Actonian Burkean view of this would be is that like, if you look at America right now, the government has sort of started to do the opposite that the government has sought to do the work of civil society and the family and actually left off of its responsibility Mm -hmm. to do the things of like national defense, ordering of justice, access to the courts, all those kinds of things. And so there's this, this critique that's come from more conservative realms of Mm -hmm. not, not like Trumpian conservative, but like historic Burkean Russell Kirkish kind of conservative. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, no, this is wrong. Like the government should be letting us take care of the work of civil society and creating flourishing. It should help with the conditions of that stable economy, yeah. stable dollar, all that kind of stuff. Right. But it should be, but one of the things that like, like people who are very progressive will argue that poor people don't have good access to the courts. And that's mm-hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. That's in America. Like there was a survey done not too long ago that one of the most terrifying things for an American was to be brought into the legal system for any reason. So even though American court systems and American judicial system is a lot better than a lot of places and a lot better than a lot of places during most times in the history of the world, one of the most terrifying things for an American citizen is to be called into the judicial system for any reason, criminally or civilly even, and especially family court. Oh yeah. Family Family court is the worst. There's people who have said, there's somebody who wrote a book on this, I don't remember the name, but like you, like the average American commits three felonies before breakfast or whatever. I mean, right. cause there's so many laws, there's so many yeah. you can't yeah. help it. Right. It's, and so um, if you have a snail in the back of your truck and you like drive into the next County, you can come in. Like, it's amazing yeah. how many laws there are. Um, I did a documentary, I directed a documentary with a team, uh, but I was the director, uh, uh, called poverty Inc. Mm-hmm. And it's about, it's about poverty in the developing world and kind of a critique of global humanitarianism. And one of the ladies, uh, we interviewed, her name is Magat Wade mm-hmm. and she's a Senegalese enter- entrepreneur. And we were talking about rule of law in the developing world mm-hmm. and, and, and justice and these things. And she's like, look, Michael, we got to, I got to stop here. We got to make sure people understand. And so it's in the movie. Cause she's like, no, like, I was interviewing her and she's like, okay, we got to get this in. We got to get this in. I was like, okay, say it. Right. And so she goes, I want you to understand when I say we don't have rule of law, I don't mean we don't have enough laws. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> and she goes, we have tons of laws. And yeah. oftentimes those laws become, they're like, they're unjust mm. because what they are is they're benefiting the rich and the well-connected. Yeah. 
and actually harming the poor. And this, like right. you're talking Because complexity is a subsidy. The more complicated you make oh, it, yeah. the more the people in government can use it as a benefit themselves and nobody else can negotiate the system, especially the poor. Yep. So the question then would be like, I think the problem we run into at that point is, should we try to make the poor richer or should we try to make it easier for the poor to have like, or should we just kind of, so, so like for, 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 for example, what you talked about with mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult for poor people, um, in the justice and what is it, what exactly did you say? I can't, yeah, I, 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 system. In, in, in the, the justice, justice system, system is really difficult. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So partly because it's expensive, partly it's because expensive, it's slow, yeah. but partly because it's so complicated. It's complicated. Like there's a, okay. like there's a, there's a number of like younger men who will get plea deals Hmm. spending like not that long with their public defense attorney who may not be all that competent, who has 95 cases. And so he signs off on like eight months probation, right. but he also signs off on being a felon for the rest of his life. And he doesn't really re- understand what he's doing there. That feels like a progressive argument. It's just like, you know, throw some money at those communities and get their education systems up and maybe like, mm-hmm. and like give them some government funding and, and maybe, and then they'll be able to understand these complexities and have enough money to, to, to buy, to yeah. pay for a lawyer or whatever it ends up being like. Right. So oh, and, the- and that's that, but then that the other argument is like, well, no, you try to help that individual economy and by yeah. like in like, you know, lowering taxes yeah. and helping part businesses. Of the, part come. of the issue is, is that from a public perspective, when, when you when you think about like pleasing the Democratic people out there. Yeah. Saying you made a law that you say is going to have a good effect is politically helpful. The problem yeah. is, is that the actual administration of law keeping mm-hmm. can only actually keep so many laws. So there there's two <laughs> options. Either yeah. A. Um, people just don't enforce whole swaths of laws, yeah. right? And they just enforce a few and that becomes the new tradition, yeah. right? right? Or what happens in other places where the rule of law begins to erode is the person who wants to enforce the law has thousands of laws to choose from. Right. And then they decide which law, they, there was this joke under Stalin that they would arrest you first and then decide what law you broke. Yeah. Yeah, because if you have enough laws, you broke something. Yeah. And so then the law becomes this thing where it, you pretend to have a rule of law, but really they've got you. Yeah. Right. It's, I was actually talking to somebody in our congregation and there was this guy who went into a house to rob a house, right? Somebody who lived there was there. He, he patted the guy down to make sure he didn't have a gun to shoot him with. So the criminal pats the homeowner down for some reason, they don't put him in jail for the burglary. So they put him in jail for sexual offense. Because they patted the, he patted the guy down. Hmm. So that's a sexual crime. So now he's a sex offender, right? Now it's kind yeah. of like, okay, you're kind of like, well, the guy broke his house. Like he should get arrested for something. Yeah. He should get arrested and convicted for burglary. Yeah, burglary. Trespassing. Right. Burglary. Not for a sex offense. He didn't right. sexually violate the person. He did touch the person. So you see how that's like right. a technicality. Oh, we'll get you on that. It's like, it's like busting people for like income tax laws who are like killing people. You're like, well, we got him on tax evasion. You know, it's, it's like on one level, you're kind of like, well, we got him off the streets. Isn't that good? Right. In a way, but you see, it's also breaking down the relationship of truth to justice. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do that, good things do not come from that. Yeah. The short term win often has long term negative. Right. It's better to have fewer laws that are very specific about what you're going to do. That's why some people think like decriminalizing like things like smoking marijuana might be a good idea because like another law that we don't have to enforce because it's not there as opposed to Mm -hmm. district district attorneys who like are elected to keep the law. And then they just pick and choose their way through Mm -hmm. what they're going to do. And see, once that happens, see, there's a lot of concern in America now that. Now you're, we're going to get district attorneys. We're going to get people judges and so on who are going to stick it to their political opponents. Hmm. 
right? Because yeah, now I want that. That's you can do what you want, right? And there's all, you can get anybody because there's enough laws. Mm. And now it's the rule of man. I'm going to decide what I'm going to charge Michael mm -hmm. with. Well, it turns out Michael's not my political party. So I'm going to charge him. You did the exact same thing, but I'm not going to charge you because yeah. right. I have discretion. Cause of course you have to have discretion yeah. in, in those positions. And so, but, th but that discretion is the kind of power that can be abused. Power tends to corrupt. And, and this goes back to just to, to why the Jewish and Christian traditions are so very important in the development of political liberty. Leviticus 19.15, right? You shall not judge the poor or the rich with partiality, right? Mm -hmm. So in justice, you shall judge. Hmm. And, and when this concept is lost through the dictatorship of relativism, right? And through this, and then um, that but we're going back to point two, things fall apart. And, and then the, the other part of this, of this common good element is that the state, you notice how these things too, you know, we talked last, last week, everything's in, in, interrelated, but these mm -hmm. things too are interrelated. Like if you lose a sense of justice and truth, then you lose the sense of the purpose of politics. Mm -hmm. Well, the purpose of politics is justice and peace. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose of politics, mm -hmm. right? Not power, not higher GDP, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not not political victories. Mm -hmm. It's justice and peace. Mm -hmm. And, and it's human flourishing. And again, how, where do humans flourish? They flourish in the family. And so we actually have laws and policies yeah. that discourage family formation. Mm -hmm. Right. Then we have, I think it's like 40% of births now are out of, yeah. uh, uh, out, out of, yeah. uh, not it's in my neighborhood tech family mm -hmm. families. If you're born into, if you're born into a, a non, if your non-biological, your biological family is not intact, your chance oh. of being in poverty goes from about eight or 9% to like 35, 40, 50%, depending mm -hmm. on like what community you're in, your ethnic group, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Right. I mean, so we have the state actually creating policies mm -hmm. that harm the community and specifically harm the poor. Yeah. And so I think this is where, in a sense, progressives and conservatives can get together. I think we have to talk to each other, mm -hmm. but I think we can get together because I think that many progressives and many conservatives in different ways, however, want to have stronger communities, but the progressive tends to think the state is going to create the community. Mm. Right. And, and sometimes the conservative becomes overly individualist, mm. Mm -hmm. Right, which is not a Burkean associationalist, but an overly individualist. Mm -hmm. And individualism contributes to centralization. Mm -hmm. And so what we really need is decentralization, mm -hmm. right? And and that because again, part of the Christian Jewish Christian idea is that the policy is a community of communities. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that's something that we've also lost, but we probably want to move on to it. Yeah, okay. I have one more question about this I think is relevant to, to our listeners. So th there's a sense in the country that like on the political left, there's this, there's this use of the language of social justice that like what we need to be doing so, through the government in society is to create social justice. That is in our social relations and in the institutions created by them, those need to be profoundly reformed so as to create justice, right? On the right, some people have taken on the language of the common good or human flourishing, partly just like we need a good phrase to say, mm -hmm. but part of it is like, no, that's what we're after. We're after like flourishing, not just mm -hmm. a certain, like tear down the institution, social program. Those seem to tend to be like against each other. Cause one tends to be more revolutionary. We need to tear down these structures. The common good people usually tend to be more burky and say, no, all these structures have all this like embedded knowledge and historical tradition. And like they're doing way more than you th think that they are. Mm -hmm. 
Is there a way that a Christian can come to that and say, if you mean this by common good, I'm with you. And if you mean this by social justice, I'm with you. But then I'm not, if you like, it seems like though a Christian should be able to affirm some definition of both of those. Do you think that's true? I think so. I mean, it's a complex question. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, this is where like, these are big, long discussions. Cause the state I mean, has to be ordered to the common good, but right. what is the common good? And the two phrases we tend to hear the most are common good or human flourishing. And then we hear this phrase, social justice. And I, and I think we would agree social justice isn't, that's not all wrong. Like there's some things, the ideologies it tends to be associated with that I don't think would fit into this Christian view of government, but there are things they're getting at that would absolutely fit into this Christian view of government. Yeah. How should, how I man, how should Christians think about it? Like on the, on the practical, on the asphalt level, how do you, how do they, how do you think about that? Yeah. I mean that, that's complex because if you, I think we have to like ask on a specific case, for example, yeah. that okay. becomes easier to talk about that. But I think one, so the, the, the tradition, the language of the common good is very much part of the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, it doesn't mean the greatest good for the greatest number, like 70, 30, you lose, you know, uh, it doesn't mean, oh, whatever's good for the state. Um, so I think, it, and I think, um, so in that sense, yes, that's deeply part of the Christian tradition. And we can come along with it, depending on what it means. And then justice is essential. So the question is, what what does one mean by social justice? Justice yeah. in society, right? Um, there's, you know, in the tradition, this is a little complex, but I, I'll, I'll say it quickly. But in tradition, there's a couple of kinds of justice. There's legal justice. And that's like what the laws are, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can have things that are legally just, or sorry, legal, but they're not just. Okay? Oh. Okay? So... And then, and I'll, I'll go back to that in a second. Then there's what's called commutative justice, which basically means justice of exchange. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a big word, commutative, like it's confusing. I, for a long time, I'm like, I don't understand what that means. And I realized, oh, you mean it's justice of exchange. Why don't you just say so? Mm -hmm. Okay. So justice of exchange, like I'll buy your iPad. Here's 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's not a good, that's not, there's no justice. The iPads are worth more than 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So justice of exchange is kind of an, an equity uh, in, in, in a, in an exchange. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, another kind of justice called distributive justice. Mm. Now, distributive justice means distribution. And mm. in, in commutative justice, it's like equal exchange. Distributive justice means that the society, the, the rulers of society, the leaders of society actually have a role in making sure that people are treated um, both equally, but also according to their their need in a different way. So mm -hmm. let me give you an example. I am married and I have seven children. Okay. So I have commutative justice relationships with the stores that I go to with my employer. Mm -hmm. He pays, I work, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, with, uh, people that I hire, right. I have commutative just lots of commutative justice and commutative justice is really the foundation of justice. But then there's distributive justice means I have an eight-year-old daughter and I don't have a commutative exchange justice. Like, okay, well, let's see if you don't produce uh, $400 of uh, economic value this month, you're not going to eat, right? <laughs> that would be bad parenting, yeah. but it would also be injustice mm -hmm. because I have a responsibility to, because I, well, we're here, I'm respecting the person, meaning right. 
I'm partial. She's my daughter. I have a responsibility to her from the relationship to take care of her and distribute. And the same thing happens in the state, but in a different, in a different way, because mm -hmm. the state is not our parents. Okay? So it seems like the, de the determination between like, what issue should you look at with each of those yes. is a relatively complicated question. Yes. And, it, and, then, and I, it, I can see how it could divide Christians, divide neighbors by but one saying, get them wrong is the point. So I'm like, you know, and, and, and so like I'm, I gave you this long answer, like, how do we think about social yeah. justice and the common good? A lot of it comes, are we applying justice in the correct way? If we apply commutative justice, if I apply commutative justice to my eight-year-old daughter, we don't want that justice. Mm -hmm. That's harmful justice. That's not, mm -hmm. that's, it's an actually unjust. Mm -hmm. If I can apply distributive justice when I should be applying commutative justice, right? Mm -hmm. So we want social justice, which means... Um, I'm making this up. Okay. Everybody who makes under $25,000 a year should be able to go into Best Buy and take what they want and rich people should have to pay for it. Like, no, that's a violation of commutative justice, right? They should have to pay for what it's worth. All right. Because Best Buy exists for the purpose of commutative justice. It's, that, that's the realm of exchange, of community right. exchange. So another example um, that, that I think is, was helpful when I was thinking about this or learning about this is um, a tornado happens, okay? And Andy and Nick's house is, right, we're all, we're, we, and it comes to our town. Mm -hmm. And Andy's house is destroyed and Nick's is not destroyed. Mm -hmm. And now we get money, the state here, and I'm the state. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, we have to distribute. We've got tax monies. We've got a, a, you know, an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. I'm going to distribute money. Do I give Andy and Nick the same amount of money? No. no. Why? Because the situation is different and distinct. And so based on the need, I'm going to have a, like the, I'm the state here in this point. The state mm -hmm. has responsibility and need not to give everybody equally, but to give the help to that person in need. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's times when the state comes in, if we begin, and this is why when we begin to, when we ask questions about like social justice or common good, Part of it, we have to get distributive and commutative justice correct, mm -hmm. apply them correctly, and then think about the specific situation. Where does it apply? And then in distributive justice, wait, we both had a tornado, but you don't get equal help. Well, and, and, and that's just, even though it's not equal. And I feel like the question also is what, what, what are you giving me? So like, if, are you, how are you going to help me? Are you going to help me with giving me money? Or are you going to, are you going to give me a new roof? Like, are you going to build me a new house? So like, I think that, well, I, so I think there's a deeper problem. I think there's a actually. deeper problem. And the deeper problem yep. is, so let's say I'm a progressive and Andy's a conservative, right? And, um, we say, okay, so a 16 year old African-American kid from mm -hmm. downtown, like steals a bunch of stuff out of a car and sets it on fire for fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And he gets caught. Okay. Now, Let's say, so let's say I'm the progressive and I say, okay, what is the state's relationship to this young man? Well, I think it's distributive justice because he wasn't treated like he didn't get what he needed to succeed. We didn't, you know, some people had too much and some people had too little. And this, this guy needs us to, to, to distribute mercy to him because that's the right relationship to the state. And he goes, no, like there is exchange in legality. Certain mm -hmm. crimes require certain penalties. Yeah. Like it should and be more commutative. Yeah. Right. And so that's what should happen. Whatever we would do with anybody, we should do with this kid. And like, in some ways that is the political divide of America. Yeah. And I, so I by what principle do we say that should be treated with distributive justice rather than commutative or commutative well, I don't rather think than another question that's actually, <laughs> that's not necessarily commutative justice or distributive. Like there's the, because that justice of exchange, I think, in that case, what you have is 
a boy broke the law. Uh-huh. So he violated the rule of law. Right. He damaged another person's property. Private property. Okay. Um, and committed crimes. Okay. Yes. So now there's questions of legal justice. Right. All right. Now, then you have, this is where you talked about the judge has discretion, mm-hmm. right? So it could be the case that this boy came from a very difficult situation. He'd had all the like 25 problems, et cetera, et cetera. And the judge could say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm, this is all hypothetical. Normally you would go to juvenile detention center, but in this case, because of the following reasons, I'm going to give you this punishment. You're going to make this restitution. You're going to go to this training. You're going to get this job and you're going to make restitution. Okay. Um, there could be another case where a boy, right. Um, has very different circumstances, right. And like willfully goes out. I mean, I guess you see it. Well, if he goes out and does it in a certain way where it says, okay, this boy needs to go to like juvenile detention center for like whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. some, sometimes you have discretion there, Mm -hmm. but the problem would be to say two boys go burn the car together. Mm -hmm. Okay. One's African-American one's white. Mm -hmm. Okay. One's from a middle-class neighborhood. One's from a poor neighborhood. One's from an intact family. One's from a broken family. Okay. And you say, well, we don't want any African-American children or from broken families around. So let's put them in jail. Mm-hmm. And then you go home, young man. That's mm-hmm. a violation of justice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The we opposite. don't want to, we don't want to take some young black Look, kid and put him in prison. Poor, poor That's person. terrible. It's not his fault. Mm-hmm. You, you're young going to jail. That's also a violation of justice. So that's where the impartiality has to be applied. And so to think through problems and uh-huh. justice is really, is really, it requires, I mean, it requires moral seriousness. Mm-hmm. Like this is the other thing. The, things are complex. Right. It requires moral seriousness. We but don't it sounds like what you're doing. So what you're, you're positing a judge who engages in the use of wisdom to distinguish yeah. between and how to engage in distributive justice, let's say, well, or in well, case, within the, the within the constraints law, of the law. law. So he, within the constraints of the law, he has some discretion. And so by what, by what reason does he use discretion? What you're saying is, is that like he uses wisdom or something like yeah. that. And, I mean, right? and not just, okay, that's the judge. Let's take, let's go away from criminal law and legal justice. Let's mm-hmm. go back to the tornado. I'm the mayor of the town and I'm going to say, okay, oh, we've got people who've been harmed with different things. Um, everybody who has was harmed gets $20,000. Okay. Is that just, well, actually it's a better justice for me to say, okay, what happened? My house was completely destroyed. I have a broken window. Mm -hmm. Okay. You get $150 and you get Mm $30,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's also using discretion that's appropriate to the situation. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's reasoned, it's argued and everything. It doesn't matter here in a sense. Now I am paying attention to who you are. But if I said, oh, well, this person is African-American and we're not going to give them any money and we're only going to give it to the, to the, you know, or we're going to give them more yeah, money. Yeah. Either way. Or we're just going to give it to the more of the African-Americans. So like, oh, his house had a broken window, but he's African-American. And this, mm-hmm. this, uh, this, uh, Caucasian fellow lost the house. Well, well, we, we want to make sure got to have, have social justice. Like that's injustice. Right. And that's why it requires reason and prudence 
Because prudence, remember, is to see the world as it is and act accordingly. Right. It's you can't act justly if you don't have prudence. Hmm. And and so that's that's and that's that's complex. So that's what here's what we need. We need morally serious adults running the place. And instead, we don't. I mean, let's be honest. Right. We, I, I think we that don't that's... have morally serious adults. We have ideologues. I mean, look, I, I mean, I have my own weaknesses and sins, okay? But we have ideologues. We have people trying to profit. We have cronyists. We have, we have, um, you know, people who are just using the situation for their own political goals. We, if you want to have liberty, which Lord Acton says is, okay, rare. Mm -hmm. And I love this quote. It is the delicate fruit of a mature civilization. Yeah. Liberty is rare and the delicate fruit of a mature civilization. Then you need adults. To act like adults. And the facts are Americans don't act like adults. Okay. Yeah. We don't, we don't act like adults. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, Osgood has popularized this idea of the golden triangle that like, um, you needed freedom for, to have, um, non-corrupted and devout religion. You needed religion to support public virtue and public virtue is necessary to have freedom. Otherwise it would become anarchic and immoral and so on. And so these, yeah. these three things, virtue, freedom, and religion, existed in this continuous interrelationship. And if you got rid of any of them, you would have enormous problems. And, I, and so the, the irreligiosity of the public's desire to create a moral code by which we all live by, mm -hmm. I think undermines the depth of virtue that people are formed in. Instead, we, be, we become like ideological, we, our virtue becomes an ideological creed rather than an internalized character that's, that's like interpersonal in the kind of way like where I'll, I'll do the thing that's unpopular because it's what should be done. And I don't right. care what you think of me. And in, instead it becomes this like this set of, of ide ideological precepts. And you're like, I'm for those things. Right. Yeah. That's what you're for. And, and so, I'll publicly posture for those things. Right. But, whether it's just or not, whether it's right or not. But I won't stand, I'll never stand up to my tribe. I'll never say, look, you're asking me to do something. I don't have the right to do it. Right. And you, you say, I, with, with two of the last presidents, like, like when president Obama said, I don't have the right to do that with immigrants. And then he just did it. Like he started off saying, no, listen, my office has these responsibilities and limits. Mm. I must respect those limits. And then when there was enough pressure put on him, he just did what he was pressured to do. And yeah. there were some, there's, I think there was some, some cases, I can't remember the, the example when President Trump did something similar, but these things happen in, in executive offices where executive offices say, I'm supposed to do X and I'm not supposed to do Y. And then they just go ahead and do Y because people put pressure on them to do it. This goes back to this question of like, why rule of law? Why justice? And why maturity matters, right? Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, that's why that's why liberty's rare. Okay. So if we know why it matters and why, then how can we build up like men and women who are adults? Because it's like, yeah, we, we, well, we can... need human formation. I mean, we, we fundamentally yeah. lack yeah. human formation. And I mean, this goes to the question of religion. Right. Okay. It goes to the question of virtue. Mm -hmm. It goes to the question of truth. Last week we talked about what does it mean to be a human person? Okay. Mm -hmm. That sounds very pedantic and boring, but it really matters. What kind right. of, what are, what yeah. kind of thing are we? What yeah. What makes a person virtuous? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. what is virtue? Right. right? Yeah. Virtue is a, is a, is a habit of excellence, mm -hmm. right? To the good. Now what's mm -hmm. the queen of the virtues? Justice. Cause justice, justice, uh, kind of manages how we relate to one another. Mm. Right. So, so to be a, to be a just man, is a high value, but the reality are you is, using justice and prudence interchangeably here. No. Okay. Did, was it, did I die? Cause in your talk this afternoon, you said prudence was the queen of the virtues. Yeah. No, no, so that's no, what I th no. I think he did say justice was, he said prudence was like the, the most, mother of the, the mother. Virtues. Yeah. The mother of the virtues. Yeah. Okay. 
Because we're just able to call it that justice is the king of the virtues. Okay. Okay. So I'm just. No, but I think so, that no, distinction no. is important because there's, is. there is, what is the truth and what is good? And then what makes people strong enough to do that good, right? The root, the root of virtue is veer of strength. Yeah. Like it's not just, it's not enough to say, here's what's good. I, yeah, you were talking about concupiscence, I think in the last episode, it's like, yeah. like, you know what the good is, but you can't do it. You're too weak and wicked to do it. Yeah, yeah. Like. It's one thing to say, this is the truth, i.e. justice, but then prudence has to like, or something has to come along and like nurture the strength to do the right thing, which in some ways is at least as hard. Right. And well, the we, Christ- yeah, we need a human form. I mean, this is right. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Just, go ahead. Just think this goes back to the point of human formation. I mean, it's hard to be good. Yeah. And it's hard to be virtuous. Yeah. And every one of us fails. I fail all the time. Okay. Um, but we have to have a concept of the good, mm-hmm. a vision of the good. And a vision of the good life and mm-hmm. what it, and so, and so, I mean, this is in a sense, what's lacking, you know, C.S. Lewis in my, one of my favorite books, the abolition of man, he says at the end of the first chapter, you know, we, we laugh at honor and we're shocked to find traitors in our midst. Mm-hmm. Well, we have over a, a long period of time, in a sense, we've kind of robbed, and this is like Lewis's point, we've robbed children and, and ourselves of our patrimony of nobility of, mm-hmm making sacrifices for others. And this goes back to what you talked about last week that Carter Sneed at Notre Dame talks about a lot, which is the problem of expressive individualism. Mm -hmm. If all we are is simply to like satisfy our own pleasures and our own goals, um, then we've become selfish. We've become like selfish children or adolescents Mm -hmm. and, and a kind of a nation of adolescents. And so part of, part of what we knew, and I think this goes to like my responsibility. So I asked myself, when am I being just kind of a selfish, you know, mm-hmm. me time, right? When am I focused on only myself? And the facts are too much, mm-hmm. right? How, what kind of life am I leading? And I think that this is why we need to, we need to be, this is where the, the, you talk about, like millennials don't want to talk about uh, their Ev- faith or anything or evangelize, mm-hmm. but we should be evangelizing ourselves and others about the, the, a vision of the good life. And I mean, I know what I'm saying yeah. is like just very basic here, but I mean, I think it, it does really matter. Like that's, yeah. that's, do we, does Liberty matter? How do we keep it? And I think big problem is we're kind of selfish. We're adolescents. We take mm-hmm. everything for granted. Mm-hmm. Like Lewis has a great line, you know, we think bread shows up from the baker's truck. Hmm. Well, actually no, There's somebody got up early, yeah. worked on it and made it because they, who got wheat from a farmer, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I mean, things are complex and they require mm-hmm. really, really hard work yeah. and we're just kind of lucky and spoiled. And right. that's a, another civilizational move, right? Well, I think this has to, yeah. I mean, we have to talk about in, in one of our podcasts, we talked about, um, it was about wisdom and one of the main points was on, uh, hyper-focus versus deep focus. Right. Mm-hmm. Remember? And, I think that all these things that we're talking about are great, but like the bottom line is that it feels like my generation doesn't care about being virtuous. Mm-hmm. And it probably has a lot to do with high, I, I feel like it has a lot to do with hyper-focus and deep focus that yeah. they can't focus long enough on the virtues and on wisdom and on yeah. the scriptures to like actually let that like play itself out and it's to understand yeah, and then play I itself think, out. So how do you do yeah, that? Deep focus is necessary to build virtue in human beings. What's, yeah. can, you, can you tell me what you, what yeah. So hyper focus being like, I'm aware of everything that's going oh, okay. on so that I can like be aware of all the stuff and I can actually react and respond in real time. Yeah. Deep focus is yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to look at this thing and I'm going to stare at it. And I'm going to like work it through. Like we were talking about the thinking like man. When you, when you like, when you're constantly watching videos yeah. and you sit down to read yeah. and like in 10 minutes, you're like, you can't right. stay focused anymore. Right. Like focus. Have you read Cal Newport's book? Deep Calvin. work. I don't think so. Oh, it's so good. Deep work by Cal Newport and digital minimalism. 
And can I promote my book? Yeah. Yeah. So I, that was on purpose. The whole thing. Uh, no, I, I actually, to refer to Cal Newport's work, I wrote a little book called Digital Contagion, mm-hmm. um, where I, I, I talk about some of the challenges. I mean, one of the challenges we're facing is technology. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, being kind of bombarded by information yeah. makes, makes deep focus and kind of sustained focus very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, you know, millennials, Generation Z, I see a mix. I mean, I see a mix. I see, um, in one sense, a desire to be virtuous, to do hard things. Mm-hmm. But I think it tends maybe more towards like physical or social and less towards the, the virtues, which are the habits of excellence. And it also feels like they want to put yeah. the cart before the horse because it feels like they want they want to do all these hard difficult things but they don't want to do the work in which it would take for them to get to the place where they can do the hard difficult things. And yeah. Some. I, I think that's partly true. I, I think part of it is like, you know, just the confusion, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we we're talking about people who have grown up in a world that has been curated in a very specific kind of way for things. So like they're the wealthiest most physically technologically pampered humans ever. And I don't mean that like yeah. they are pansies. What I'm saying is, is like, um, stuff that would have killed you a hundred years ago. Yeah. Like it's just a trip to the doctor now. Like, yeah. like all the problems Honestly. see in some, in some ways, one of the reasons people don't find virtue to be worth pursuing is because virtue isn't as physic physically necessary. Yeah. Like yeah. if you go back yeah. a ways, yeah. like, like for example, sense. just take yeah. marriage, for example, if you go back just not that long, mm-hmm. you needed your spouse to pay the bills and survive. Right. Like your spouse was a companion necessary mm-hmm. for flourishing. Mm-hmm. It was, they weren't just the person that like, well, if you fell out of love and they left you, then you just find somebody else. It wasn't like right. that. Or you and had that, to have kids to help work the farm and right. like, make like, sure, yeah. like we've, we've come to a place where like, you could do stupid things to your body and then a doctor just is supposed to fix it. Yeah. You can do terrible things to a relationship and you can just use technolo- technologies to meet new random people yeah. that are curated for you so that you could just right. replace friends. Right. You like you can you can go find another lover. You can right. And so technology, I think a lot of people just feel they could, wouldn't describe it this way. Mm-hmm. But this is the context we've grown up in. Virtue is just an old technology to the to mm. folks. And I don't mean millennials. I mean to mm. human beings that live in America and yeah, in yeah. the modern world. That virtue is just an obsolete technology. Yeah. Virtue was the technology we used when life was harder. We when didn't it was have necessary. These, to right, it, it was yeah. necessary. Yeah. You mm. die like you had yeah. to have virtue. Yeah. But now you don't. Now yeah. you need right. money and you need to be slick and you need yeah. to know hacks and you need to do the yeah. stuff. Yeah. And if you do that, you can take care of yourself and you can just. You'll be uh, fine. You'll be yeah, fine. You'll be fine. And yeah. so what, what, what that shows is not that like millennials are some kind of bad people mm-hmm. what it shows no, is that yeah, the rest exactly. of us were never that good right <laughs> like the rest of us who like were like well i cared about virtue yeah but you had to yeah yeah, yeah you yeah. did it because if you didn't you lost your skin or somebody right. cut off your neck because now, if this would have happened in that time period and right. they didn't need to use their virtue they wouldn't have right. and it, it goes it, back to it, Mike, it exposes michael the up, nature of, of man right it yeah michael brought up the the ring of i forget the guy the guys yeah the, the, the ring of gaiji's like what would you do if you had a ring that you could put on you were invisible and not and you could do anything you want with impunity would you be virtuous there's for a lot of people they wouldn't no, yeah. and like in some ways technology is the ring of of gaiji's like it's yeah. just like look you're gonna do this stupid thing mm. and yeah you'll lose that friend but you'll just go find another one yeah. on your like on your list or curious replaceable so you're, which you, makes you, people you're not gonna pay in the way you used to right. because you can use technology to mediate the loss of the loss right. of virtue right. now you don't realize though 
your soul is being destroyed. Mm. You're not developing as a human person. You're losing your emotional capacity right. to feel all the deep benefits of being human. Yeah. But you don't really realize you're losing those things because right, you're anesthetized and there's all this glittering crap in front of you. So not only are you getting the oxycodone so that you don't feel the cut that's being put, you're watching a TV and playing a video game while you're doing it. And because of that, it seems like you turn like subjects into objects naturally. And you objectify yourself actually. And you right. objectify yourself. Object. You and there's yourself. a certain pleasure in objectifying other people. Yeah. And you don't realize you're right. losing the harder work of the deeper pleasure yeah. of the intersubjective beauty of love. So would you say that being a Christ, a virtuous Christian now is much harder than it was? In some ways, because and honestly, I think there's a lot of millennials that have, have never experienced intersubjective relationships. They have not experienced like before there were TVs yeah. and all this money to spend on crap. Yeah. People talked to each other. Yeah. They built engines together. Right. They had, they had closer natural interpersonal relationships in real space. Right. And yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as we have objectified, right. it was, we've, we've entered into consumer mm-hmm. dynamics and these, we have lost the, the joy of love. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, all these replacements are paltry, but here's the thing, like, but there's like 170 replacements. Yeah. Yeah. And so the assumption is like, well, yeah, maybe, maybe all these things I'm giving myself to aren't as good as deep interpersonal, emotionally healthy love in the name of God. Yeah. But if I have 47 replacements, surely that's more than what I've lost. Yeah. You know, and, and part of the thing is, remember, it goes back to like, um, Peter Berger and then like, um, who is the Gordon Conwell guy who wrote no place for truth. Um, David Wells, when he was like, it's not, we don't change because we were persuaded of a different truth. Hmm. We change because we're in a system that implicitly teaches us a certain thing. We don't even know we're learning it. Yeah. Right. And that's what Jesus, I think, taught about worldliness relative to the gospel is that you you have two religions. You believe in Jesus. That's your explicit religion. You believe in worldliness. That's your implicit religion. And the reason you don't realize you have two religions is because one, you said you believed in and the other you absorbed. Yep. It's a lot like the we were what we're reading in the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self with like how people view the like industrial revolution where we how they view um, natural resources before the Industrial Revolution and after the Industrial Revolution in which like you can just take anything and make whatever you want out of it after the Industrial Revolution and during it. But before you had to like you couldn't just put a road right through the right through the hill or right through the mountain. You had to like deal with the mountain in front of you. And and so that that like I mean, they, they, we didn't even realize what was happening to us through the however long the industrial yeah. revolution was. And yeah. now it's just what everybody thinks about natural resources. That and you can technology, just, too, is affecting us in ways we don't really realize. I mean, we think, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, it's no big deal. But, you know, think about what the car did. It completely transformed the way we live. Yeah. And same that's happening yeah. with digital technology. Yeah, and had sex. Like people, I mean, like you could drive away <laughs> with somebody and have sex somewhere privately. Yeah. And like, just like people just did not even conceptualize what that even right. would mean. Yeah. But and it like, well, and, and also just like suburbs yeah. and the breakdown of cities oh, and yeah. parishes yeah. and normal relationships. I think, you know, I mean, there's so many things to, to this question of worldliness you asked, is it harder? I mean, I think if you look at the scriptures and then the early church fathers, mm-hmm. this is a theme that don't be conformed to this world. Yeah. So it's really a human challenge. Okay. The challenge mm-hmm. now is that the comfort is easier. So, you know, um, this one theologian said that after the Soviet union fell relativism, it didn't die. It actually combined with the desire for gratification to form this very potent mix. Mm-hmm. And like people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn were warning, like we're losing the foundations of like what makes the West good. And 
we're losing really the vision of a good life. And so I think you have a combination of, in a sense, you have philosophical materialism, which we talked about before. Mm. You're just, you're just matter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have this kind of like, this connects with kind of a Darwinian randomness. Like it's just random and you know, all these things are happening and this stuff's in the air. Okay. I don't mean that people are sitting there thinking, Oh, I'm reading the origin of species. I mean like this is right in the air. It's the spirit of the age. So to speak. Yeah, it's exactly. You have, um, you have consumerism, right? Which is really not a, a less of an economic, I mean, there are economic problems with it. But yeah. And accelerated in the 1960s yeah. in a way that like most of us here have never known a non-consumer society, but it's pretty new. It's pretty new. And it's, it's, it's also consumerism is really a spiritual disease. Yeah. Right. And then you, you, you're, you're, there's all bombarded with like digital technology mm -hmm. and there's so many other things, but in a sense, like we've lost a sense of what a good life is. Mm -hmm. And you talked about, it's hard, you know, um, there, this joke, like for who, for what, like, what am I doing it for? Mm -hmm. Like for who? For what? Why am I going to do that? How do you talk to somebody though, who just would say, Michael, what you're doing is you're like the old English Luddites. You're like trying to hold on to a, a good old days for you, yeah. as opposed to accepting that we're living in a new world. Like yeah. the, the world what, has changed. What a good life is, is yeah. different now. That's what conservatives do now in a lot of areas. I've seen that. Um, that they can't accept that they're like the new technologies of the world. Yeah. And that's why a conservative lose a lot of elections because they don't know how to use the new technologies to reach the masses mm -hmm. and they can't, but, but there's something. Yeah. So that is, I feel like that's what the conservatives are. Yeah. Like, 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 like we needed the family before there was birth control. Yeah, we needed yeah. the family yeah. before. Right. But, but now we live in a new, and we can make a new man. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that those are like multiple questions. Yeah. I mean, so in this little book, I did digital contagion. Actually the, the, the fourth chapter is, uh, is actually a call for social and technological decentralization. So I'm actually arguing we need to use technology better that I think many yeah. people who have a vision of the human person as embodied, embedded that we talked about last time. Yeah. Um, we've actually not been involved in building technologies. We've kind of abdicated our responsibility mm -hmm. to materialists. And yeah. so I think it's very important for Christians to build technology yeah. that serves yes. human beings. Amen. I think decentralized technology, like, you know, blockchain, um, yeah. can be a, a, a a very important force in that. So I, I think we should absolutely go deep into technology and the sciences mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, affirm our biological, uh, complexity and aff affirm the science. So, so I am not in any way arguing for, for a Luddite position. What I am arguing for is that we should be aware of what's happening yeah. to us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're taking it seriously. Like, so yeah. like, people say like, well, how is this different from advertising in the past? Well, mm -hmm. because in the past you looked at a billboard, which was bad enough. Now the billboard's looking at you. Yeah. It's collecting data on you. Right. And it's like, you know, maneuvering to, mm -hmm. to refine through algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. Very targeted ads to, in a sense, walk you to certain places. And right. it, it uses even your biometric data, right? Yeah. To sell you things and to, to mm -hmm. get you to think in certain ways. Yeah. But I read something recently about like how, what, how much percentage more disposable income people who use phones spend. Yeah. And it's just kind I of like buy Amazon. I you don't realize it, but it, that device is causing you to spend more money on things oh, you don't books. require. I mean, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. I like buy now one click, one click. I mean, I've, I've like yeah. four times wanted to buy a book in the middle of this conversation. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, so exactly. But I think also, um, you, you know, so we have to be in a sense aware of what's happening with technology. We have to, mm -hmm. to we, so I think there's not just a sense of here, here's the, let me make it this way. For example, maybe you disagree. Like, you know, say, oh, conservatives, they just want to be a lot. I think conservatives uh, are, are kind of 
behind many people on the left when it comes to the dangers of technology. I'll talk oh, to people in the free market yeah. to the dangers of technology. Yeah, They're agree. not Luddites as much as they are like, oh, it's all fine yeah, as long mm -hmm. as the free market provides it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like people say like, what right. do I care if Google's taking my data? Well, do you mean just because the state's not taking your data, like it's they okay, can outsource yeah. it to somebody else to yeah, take your data? Right. That's not a problem. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you... If you so, I like, think that the argument happens with censorship, right? Like there was this whole thing like, can tech monopolies censor people and, answer, yeah. and the answer is well well if it was the government censoring people then no they couldn't but if the government tells or puts pressure on yeah, or puts even social pressure on it to do it then it's okay like that seems like a like so yeah too I, clever by half right i think you know i think that that um i mean i i i, I like the work of jaron lanier he he's uh I think he was, he would call himself a progressive, his book, 10 arguments to delete your social media accounts right now. Mm -hmm. I interviewed uh, him on my podcast. Um, he's a very, very thoughtful on this. I mean, I do think there are people like James Poulos, uh, who has a book called human forever. I just interviewed him too. He's also thoughtful on it. He's a, he's a, he's more of a conservative, but a lot of people who are kind of leading the way in thinking about some of the problems, um, are, there are some, there are conservatives and, and liberals. So I don't, I don't know if that breaks out that way, but I do think, I do think that the bigger question we have is, is how do we articulate what, what a, the vision of a good life and how do we create the plausibility structures to welcome mm -hmm. people into that? And mm -hmm. so I talked about Spider-Man before, right? Yeah. I like the right. Spider-Man. I, I don't know if I fit. I don't know. I remember. Was that last week? Was that today? That was last week. That was last, last week. Okay, last week. I'm back to Spider-Man. <laughs> what does Spider-Man want, right? And he wants deep friendship and a loving relationship. And let mm -hmm. me, and then he heroically sacrifices himself. And guess what? It's a box office hit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why? Because think about what's a box office hit. Okay. Love stories, um, heroic stories, men and women are the same men and women that we were at the, in, in, in the first century and in, in 300, 400, 500, thousand years before Christ, we're, mm -hmm. we're the same. Mm -hmm. we're biologically the same. Okay. And we are spiritually and emotionally, we're the same. Mm -hmm. And, and what provides happiness for us is deep loving relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay. And everything else is a distraction. And it was a distraction when Paul was writing, mm -hmm. right? Lewd conduct and revelry, mm -hmm. drunkenness. It's the same exact challenge. They're just manifested in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is, Every age, Christians have to repropose the gospel. And now we have to repropose the gospel in, in a, new, in a yeah. new environment. But I think one of the errors that Christians make is we try to make the gospel relevant to our time. The yeah. gospel is always relevant. Right. Okay? We just yeah. have to be able to repropose it. And so we're in a period of uh, we're, we live in a post, increasingly post-Christian society, right? Meaning we're not proposing the gospel to people who who've actually heard it. Right. We're posing the possible, the, the, the gospel to people who think they've heard, heard it. it. Right, yeah. They think they know what it is. And so it sounds like, oh, just fuddy-duddy getting rid of your, 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 free, your freedom. But I don't know about you, but like I, I'm married with seven children and I have, you know, I'm tired sometimes and I struggle sometimes and I'm frustrated sometimes and et cetera. But when I pause, I sometimes think I haven't done anything with my life. Like we talked about mm -hmm. last week, but I also pause to see like, well, the things that I have and have done are that I am 
in loving relationships of what, how does Carter Sneed say it? Graceful. Yeah. Uncalculated giving and gracious receiving. Uncalculated giving and gracious receiving. And that's where the great joy comes. Mm -hmm. And even interestingly, I mean, I think there's even data to show, like if you're married with children and you're a man, you mm -hmm. tend to make more money. You're happier. You have a better, you like, live longer, live longer. You have, you have metabolic health. I mean, like it just improves because, because men need something to live for. Men, yeah. And, and I, let's talk about men right now. There's a crisis of men. There's a crisis of yeah. boys. There's this great resignation. Millions of men. He's just transitioned to number five, the importance and centrality of the human family. Good. Yeah, Perfect. The, the people have, are in a great resignation. Men, they're not working. Mm -hmm. Able-bodied men are not working. Like for who? For what? What, what am I doing it for? Mm -hmm. And so this is a social crisis. And I think here Christians have to lead the way What's in the giving a vision yeah. to say, look, you have a purpose. You mm -hmm. have a meaning in your life that goes beyond consumption, beyond entertainment. And this is a, this is a deep problem that actually feminism yeah, uh, creates a big problem. I think you should have on your show, two friends of mine, uh, Carrie Gress and Noel Maring. Noel Maring wrote a book called Awake, Not Woke. I recommend the listeners read it. And Carrie Gress wrote a couple of books um, one of them called anti-Mary on radical feminism. Okay. And, um, they actually talk about the problems of, I'm going to be talking to them soon about feminism and how it undermines men. Yeah. And then how that undermines women. Yeah. And so we're in a really vicious circle yeah. where we, we have to, we have to, and this is why we talked right. about last week. What is a human being? That's like the reverse really of the comment that, Feminism gave men exactly what they wanted and took away from women exactly what they really wanted. But yep. the thing is, is that the thing what, in the, the short thi run, in the short run, what men thought they wanted, which was promiscuous, yep. unmoored sexual access to women, um, was not what they really needed, which was to find meaning in committing to one woman and, and enter into this like intersubjective, personal, loving relationship with a woman in which children are received. And right. Well, I mean, look, people world. like Marvel and extreme sports because every man wants to be a hero. Yeah. yeah. And I saw this extreme sports documentary, like the beginning of it. The guy was doing like squirrel jumping, you know, and he's like, he goes, hey, you're very extreme. He goes, extreme. No, that's not extreme. Having three children and a dog, you know, married, that's, that's extreme. Mm -hmm. And in one sense, he's absolutely right. right. Like he nailed it. You want to yeah. be, you want an extreme sport, get married, yeah. have children, get a job and have, and go and look. I remember the first day, do you have children yet? No, no I just got married. You just got married. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank okay. You. Do you remember? I remember the first day I drove home with my son in the back of the car. I'm like, they can't, what are they, they're letting me take this guy home. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know what to do? Yeah. Right. Like I was like, I hope she knows what to do. <laughs> right? We're driving home with this person right. that I have to care for. And it yeah. happens. And then you think you look at, you know, I have many, many faults. So I'm, I'm just saying, but you look at that, your wife and your children and you're like, I got to get moving. Right. I have to like, what does Jordan Peterson say? Somebody I, has to lead these people. Yeah. yeah. Jordan Peterson has this, this wonderful line where he says like, I have to bring order out of chaos. Right. Mm -hmm. I have to bring order and stability so that these people can have a, a life. And so, um, in Exodus, Leon Cass talks about this in, in the book of Exodus. The role of the father is to clear the space of iniquity. There must be no iniquity in the house, no evil. And he says, and, and he said he, in, in one of his talks, he says, it's unclear in the Bible in Exodus, whether the Hebrew says that God will visit punishment on the generations or whether the iniquity lingers. Hmm. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And either way, we know the iniquity lingers. Yeah. And it went, and so the, the role of men to keep a home and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to get frustrated. We're going to blow it. Okay. But to keep a home where we keep out evil to the best of our ability mm-hmm. and we try to bring order and love and encouragement and discipline, right? But order, love, encouragement, motivation, so that people can see, our children can see the plausibility structure that, that love and that this we honor good. our wives. This is good. I want to live this way. I want when I this. Grew up, I want to live this, I want to live this way. And yes, it's a little difficult at the time. And yes, we're tired. And yes, the children need to go to bed earlier and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's that order. That then, what is, what is, when you do that and you obey the commandments, what is the promise? God blesses you to the thousandth generation. Mm-hmm. We have many, many boys and girls who've suffered abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, etc. We need men to stand up to ask for forgiveness for our sins, to amend our lives, and to make heroic acts of virtue with friendship with other men mm-hmm. to help create ordered places. Mm-hmm. And so these two ladies who I told you in the interview, they're like, yeah, we need to bring back the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about politically correct. But what they yeah. mean by that is not, not the patriarchy, yeah. like the toxic right. man who abuses the and uses women, yeah. but the man who right. loves and nurtures. And so we got the, and one thing mm-hmm. I'll say, and this will be the third to last thing. These guys over here in the production were teasing me that I, I say the last thing and I have four more. So yeah. this time I have four more things to say. Now, there's a, <laughs> there's a beautiful thing in Genesis, you know, it says, and I, I sometimes give talks on this for men. Like, what does it say? Adam is called to guard, to till, okay, and then implicitly to teach the commandment, Steve. Mm-hmm. So the way I say your guard, protect, and guide, mm-hmm. or serve, I should say guard, serve, protect, serve, and guide women and children. That's the goal of a man. That's what we're made, that's what we're designed to do, mm-hmm. okay? And that when we do that, we bring blessing on other people. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. we are selfish and we don't guide and teach, like men don't often teach like, Oh, I'll leave that to the women. Right? Like when we don't teach, mm-hmm. we don't teach women and our daughters that they are subjects loved by the living God and have friendship with Jesus Christ so that they can then be ready to be in relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. When we teach our boys mm-hmm. to love guide and serve women and children to treat women as subjects, persons and not mm-hmm. objects or things. And we, we continue to do this and practice in our own lives. We bring blessing upon mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and then we create the plausibility structure for order. So that other people say, I want that. Mm-hmm. I want that. And if we're going to train, change yeah. the world, then that's how we're going to do it. And this goes back to the community of community and the importance of family. And if we don't have a strong family dynamic and if Christians aren't living out the family dynamic, and that yeah. means we have to just admit that we fall. And that's mm-hmm. why God in his mercy comes to forgive our sins, right? So I'm not saying we're perfect, but we keep striving toward that good. We're going to bring blessing and order on society in a yeah. way much better than just being political activists. Yeah. And I think you have to, you have to decide in your mind that you can give your life to that sacrificially and produce the fruit of it, having sacrificed all that. And then somebody else will point at your, what you've produced and call it privilege, even though you've given everything for it. And you just have to realize that's how people are going to behave. That's well, how they're going to look at it. They're just going to say, well, yeah, you know, privilege. it's awesome. Good. What do you let's, say? Let's share it. We want everyone to have it. Cause and what, the thing, yeah. can I say, yeah, go ahead. Privilege. Go ahead. You, you don't, anybody can have that. Anybody can have yeah. it. Right. Ab- it's like laughter. It's not like the rich. It's not like the poor can't have as much laughter as the rich. You no, have to have a sense of humor. 
Right. right. And, and love is similar. Anybody can have love. It doesn't mean that economic stability isn't important. Oh, right. Yeah, but absolutely. Like Angus Deaton, the Nobel Prize winning economist, and I think his wife, I think the heat of his wife, Anne Case, did a study after $75,000 in the United States, you basically, you don't get any more like happiness or pleasure. So you need basics. Okay. And that's uh, a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah, but I'm yeah. saying, but the point is you don't need $75,000 to get married <laughs> and have a family. Right. You, you don't know. And Depends you don't need it. And the more, the, the your fact, if you get married and have a family and you're faithful and you're honest and you can, oh, you can keep your commitments, you'll probably start to make more money. Mm-hmm. It actually happens, yeah. okay. but you don't need it. So anyway, keep okay. Going. Yeah. I have a question because I, I think if you're a man listening to this and you are, get married, let's just say 35 or younger, I agree. Yeah. Get married and be a man. But like, that's what people say. And it sounds in, uh, extremely intimidating to men who like can't get jobs. So like, wh- where, where do you start in this? Like, cause I've always thought too, if the men in our society would start to be men, then I think the women would naturally follow. I think that they, they would start to be not, not be men, but they would start to be women of virtue. If the men are men of virtue, because they're natural leaders. And, and so, women have a responsibility to lead as well. I mean, women have their own responsibility yeah, and not and, to be not, yeah, not to not to be masculine, but sure, to be feminine, right? And because so, because women help uh, men stay ordered. So, yeah, and be to God. How do you get men to care about this? Stuff? I mean, to not be intimidated by this, I guess. Being like, I know they want me to get a family and go get married and yeah. have kids. This so, is like yeah. a lot coming at me right There's, now. This is a film that's several years old now. That one of the first ones M Night Shyamalan did called Unbreakable, and it's about this guy who doesn't know he has the capacity to be a superhero. Right. But part of the theme of the film is not his origin story of becoming powerful. It's his origin story of figuring out why he was so depressed and why his life was coming apart and why he didn't love his wife. Like he, he was like living out this life and he didn't realize he had this capacity and that by not recognizing it and living according to it, he was depressed in a way he didn't understand. And so he was acting, he was like hitting on a woman on the train. He's like, didn't like his job and he was just moping around and he was losing his wife and his child. And like, as he discovers what he is, he like comes alive emotionally and he carries his wife up to bed and he like connects with his son and he like, he like comes alive. And I think that, Hmm. I I think that that was meant to not just be like this, like, I think it was meant to be a metaphor of like what it means to find who you really are. And it's not the expressive individualism just saying I'm this it's discovery. It's discovering your nature. Hmm. And when you do that, you become an individualized version of the living out of your nature. Yeah. And so you're fully an individual, yeah, yeah. Right. but you're or also you're more of an you're individual, more of an individual right. and important. you're just like everybody else. Right. But just in di- like, you're realizing you're like superpower that you naturally have. And yeah, that all other men you're are made also in the have. image of God. Yeah. Right. You are a divine dominion taker in yeah. the earth. You can out of your own body by becoming one flesh with, a, with a single other of a complementary gender, make another image bearer or yeah. numerous other image bearers mm-hmm. to take dominion in creation. Like, it's incredible. It's epic. It's awesome. It's heroic. Yeah. You mentioned the saints before, you know, how like, yeah. you, you know, I'm Catholic. And so like the, we, we think about the saints and the saints are like, there are superheroes, right? In a sense. Right. And, and they're all different kinds. And no. you, you mentioned something, maybe I, I think it's Chesterton or something said, um, is it Tolstoy who says something like all happy families or unhappy families are alike. What's the line where he's like, all happy families are, are, um, are the same unhappy families are different or something. The opposite Chesterton I says, I don't remember, but the Chesterton says, um, we kind of have the image, especially because there's so much bad Catholic art of like saints who look like kind of like they're <laughs> green or something. But, um, but we kind of have the saints of kind of boring, 
-hmm. And what Chesterton points out is like, no, the saints are radically different from each other. Right. They're, they're actually more human, more alive. And, um, uh, Middlemarch, George Eliot in the beginning of Middlemarch actually has this little quote, like where she talks about Teresa of, of Avila, who's this powerful force of a woman who's like, you know, accomplished and she's a saint and she's difficult and she's diff, you know, she's unique. And I think all of us are called to be saints, right? Mm -hmm. Which means to each of us is unique and unrepeatable. We're created in the image of God. There's andiness, there's Nickness, there's Michaelness, and we need to live out our Michaelness and our Nickness to the fullness of our capacity, mm -hmm. right? And the expressive individualism is kind of like, define yourself, right? Yeah. The, it's better to say, who am I? What kind of being am I? What are the goals? And then I'm gonna go live this out, and then I'm gonna manifest it in my unique, unrepeatable way. Yeah. And that's gonna be, that's, that's like going to create this kind of flowering of diversity yeah. and difference of interest. And it's going to, again, bring all these people working to bring order for human flourishing for the common good. I think like it makes me, that makes me think of, um, in CS Lewis's book, mere Christianity, where he talks about originality. Yeah. He's like, listen, people want to be original and they, so they try to be original, but the problem is when you do that, you almost never are. <laughs> He's like, take something and then tell the best Tell the truth the best way you know how, and then eight times out of 10, you'll be original in some meaningful mm. way. I think similarly, like if you want to be an original person, truly an individual, start with what you are, right. the way you're just like everybody else, and then live that out as truthfully as you know how, that is in Christian terms, as virtuously as you can, in the idiosyncrasies of what happens and what's going on around you, and in the, the particularities of your giftedness and so on, mm. and do that as truthfully and as God-centeredly as you know how, as an offering of worship and holiness, and you will live an individualized unrepeatable, unique, beautiful. Yeah. And in one way I like, I don't really care about uniqueness. I would prefer beauty. Yeah. If, if I was, if I could live a beautiful life and it was just like 10 million other people, I would prefer that to an ugly individuality. Oh, absolutely. You know, I want to say one thing. Yeah, just I, I thought of this, um, friends of ours, um, they, the husband, uh, they have, they have six children and the husband is one of nine, I think. Oh gosh. And, um, That's his, his father just died recently. Um, and they went to the funeral and it was packed and there were like 51 grandchildren and all of the, 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 the children and the spouses and the grandchildren and the friends and the place was packed mm. and he was a regular guy. Yeah. But he was like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. You'd say, Oh, you know, there he is. He's just you know, then he was older and, you know, kind of walking as well. But, what happened is when he, when he died, all these hundreds and hundreds of people are there and he impacted all of their lives. Right. And I met him once and I'm inspired by the stories. I, I met him once and like, I would hear the stories. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, he would call his grandsons and say, Hey, come on, come talk to me. And the grandson would come. How's it going? So are you dating, you know, Susie? So he goes, yeah. How long have you been dating her? Like two years. Two years. You're going to get married? He's like, oh, I don't know. He goes, don't waste a girl's pretty years. That's what he would say, right? And like <laughs> these little lions, right? And he would, and all like, mm -hmm. okay, okay, grandpa. Like, and he was this force, right, for people. Mm -hmm. That, that's a beautiful life, mm -hmm. but also an original life. And in a sense, mm -hmm. like, I, I, this, I know this is not politically correct, but like we, we should reinvigorate the idea of a, of a healthy, beautiful, loving patriarch mm -hmm. who, who brings order and, and beauty despite our fallenness, despite our brokenness uh, to people. And when we do yeah. that again, it goes, I'm saying this again, this is, this is going to have profound mm -hmm. insight. You know, I talk a lot and I'm a mm -hmm. teacher, but 
that's going to have more, if I can do that well, and I, I don't think I'm doing that great, but I'm trying my best or maybe not trying my best because <laughs> I'm lazy. Uh, but yeah. if I can do that, that's going to have a lot more value than any book I write or thing I say or podcast I record. So, I mean, I think like to, to pull this back into government, because I think that the whole, yeah, pull one of this podcast is about how Christians should interact with government. Mm -hmm. It does feel like there's, what you guys are saying is that there's a whole bunch of personal responsibility that, that happens like in, in relation to, the government in some capacity is like less of the government and more of like, we need it. Men need to take responsibility for themselves, like have children yeah. or get married, then have children. And so, well then, but yeah. they, then they become involved in civil life yes, and right. political life right? and they get involved in their communities right. and then they become the government. And the other right. thing I want to say very quickly hmm. is yeah. Yeah. there are structures of sin. Okay. Like slavery is an example. Abortion yeah. is an example sure. of structures of sin, but all structures of sin, which have impact on us. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is the question. Like this is where the social justice, like there are, there are structures of sin, but they're all rooted in personal sin. Mm -hmm. And so we can't, there's not a policy that's going to simply solve our problems. Right. Okay. Right. That doesn't mean there's not good policy and bad policy. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. We need good policy, rule of law. We've talked about that. The importance of private mm -hmm. property for space, access to justice in the courts, mm -hmm. like the ability to start businesses. These are super important. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a place for government yeah. and good policy matters, but, but there's not a policy to fix the human condition. There's not yeah. a policy right. to fix right. culture. It's kind of like you, you, you get yeah. Guinness, Michael Novak has this like three legged stool, right? Yeah. Like this free, this free society and the, the business, the, a, a moral culture, right? Mm. And then political rule of law, mm. all those things need to work together, but it's human beings. It's us. Mm -hmm. It's not them. It's yeah. not somebody else. Like mm -hmm. we are the people of the polis of the city. And so yeah. that's why I think that's why we're there's getting never, down There's step. never enough money in the government, no matter how totalitarian <laughs> it is to pay for all the goods that right. love must give right. one to another. I mean, yeah. Chesterton said once controversially, there's nothing so cheap as a mother. And he didn't mean by that, that like women were worth anything. He's like, listen, a mother will give for free out of love. Hmm so many thousands of things to her children that you could mm -hmm. never pay for through the mm -hmm. government. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's nothing more efficient than a mother mm -hmm. for the care of human beings. And if you like try to pay for all those things through a government, you'll go bankrupt. You just mm -hmm. can't possibly do mm -hmm. it. And civil society or human beings cooperating with one another. Like how many sports teams have you coached, Michael? Oh, a number of them. Yeah. yeah I've, I've coached, coached half a dozen yeah, and it's cause we had kids yeah. and then our wives yeah, are like, somebody's got to coach so-and-so's game. Mm -hmm. And then we just end up doing it. And yeah. so people just get involved in their communities and loving each other and, and creating flourishing and all the other things. Right. Doing. Sometimes to the extent where you're like, okay, um, I got to go home and see my family. Right. <laughs> like, but, but you're right. But like, this happens because we get embedded in communities. We have these personal relationships and then we want to do things for other people. And not only will you get more work out of us, we will enjoy it. Yeah. Like I actually like my life mm -hmm. doing that, which I'm created to do, creating, creating way more value. Mm -hmm. uh, one example of this that I think is really powerful right now is the new, the new high priests of our societies are economists and counselors. Right. And like, Think and about technologists. Yeah, sure. technologists, right? And so, like, scientists. One of the things that's super effective and super ineffective is the 50 minute counseling session. Like, I don't care how competent you are as a counselor, there's only so much you can do once a week for 50 minutes with people. What we found in the church is people need long term participatory friendships in addition to counseling. Not instead of in counseling, addition. but in yeah, addition right, to it. Sure. The thing is, is that, like, you can't pay those friends $250 an hour. Like there's, and the government can't do that. Like you have to have people who willingly will just walk with you and talk to you. 
And like, you can like talk about your family life and all the hurts and like what you're doing and how you're coping with it and and what your counselor talked about. And, and then over months grow while Mm -hmm. going to your counselor, Mm -hmm. you can't pay for that. But there's dozens of people at high point church, like in those friendships and those people are getting better and they're forming families and they're forming deeper friendships and they're getting even better. Mm -hmm. And that's something that could only be done through the inexpensive nature of free association and love. Right. It's not so you can't economically pay for that. It has to be done through the inexpensive riches of love. Yep. Yeah. I feel like this can come back really easily to your first point is that the state is not divine. And like, who do we look at and look to for our truth and our right. meaning and purpose? And if it is the state, then you're going to get, you know, those types worshiping of results. The state, yeah. Worshiping the state is deism because yeah. you're always going to get an impersonal God. Right. And if it this, is Christ, you know, that's the, that's what this is all yeah, that's about. Why the, that's why the, the Christian, like the last point is anti-utopianism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yes. the state cannot, or the economic policy or anything, the educational policy cannot solve the problems of evil, sin, suffering, and death. Mm-hmm. And as Nick said, mm-hmm. cannot provide what man needs most, yeah. which is love. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're not redeemed by the state. We're not redeemed mm-hmm. by technology. Right. right. So the state has a role right? It's the custodian of social order, mm. but it is not the source of truth. It's sure. not the source of happiness. It's, it's not the source of our flourishing. Mm. It helps yeah. create the conditions. And I think having this view then enables us to go down into like specific questions. Okay. How do we deal with this policy or that policy? Mm-hmm. But I think at the core, I mean, the, the, the state is not divine and the state cannot solve the problems of, of, of human life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. only God can. And, and, and then he gave us a social nature and love that yeah. in, in family and love and mm-hmm. friendship and self donative gifting of ourselves and worship of God. That's how we're going to solve the problems until right. Jesus comes again. And then yeah. he takes care of everything. But until mm-hmm. that, there's no, there's no solution outside yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. But there, but that doesn't mean that we don't go into despair. Because right. hope is the mm-hmm. confident expectation that Jesus Christ will deliver us mm-hmm. and that we're called to live in, out our image, yeah. not just in his image, but live out our image mm-hmm. and to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. Mm-hmm. And so we just keep going and, and that's, and, mm-hmm. and those things seem so far away from government, but they're actually absolutely yeah. deeply connected to how we think yeah. about. Yeah. And I, I think, any, the, I think the concept of the technologist being part of the new high priesthood is, is, is that you've got to remember that like, if, if Jesus, the Christ is right about our humanity, what is being offered to us is a virtual life. And that virtual life is less embedded and less embodied. Absolutely. Mm. And so it's less human and more inhuman. Mm. And so if we really want to get into the direction of human flourishing, we can use virtuality in certain ways. Like people watch this video and that's a kind of virtuality, but like, what we have to do is to move our lives in more embedded and more embodied directions. We are a human being in a body. You've got to sleep. You've got to eat well. You've got to eat with people. You have to laugh. Absolutely. You have to have loving relationships. You have to tell people the truth. And the more you get connected into these embedded embodied relationships, you accept that you're a human being in a body and you accept other human beings as people in bodies in this relationship of love together, your life gets better. Mm-hmm. And to the extent to which you are, are separated from that, your life gets worse. Absolutely. And if you don't know that at your core, you'll get pulled away into misery thinking that you're moving towards happiness. Yeah, absolutely. The air air of either spiritualism Mm -hmm. or materialism, Mm -hmm. right? What you eat, what you do, how you sleep, how you relate, all the things you said are, are, yeah. are, are I think, beautifully said. And I think yeah. that's, I think that's a, that's a, in a sense, that's the, the, the answer to the political problem, yeah. meaning the 
polis, mm-hmm. how we live well with one another is I think how you just articulated. Yeah. It. It's an, un, the, the substitutes are unwholesome. It's like when you, you binge on Netflix and you watch like seven <laughs> episodes of something and it feels so good while you're watching it. Right. But then when you turn the TV off and it's two hours past your bedtime and you right. should have gotten sleep and mm-hmm. you just spent four hours doing this and you go yuck. Yeah. You know, and you know yeah. that that was an unwholesome pleasure. Right. Part of virtue is pursuing that, which is, you know, is deeply wholesome. Mm-hmm. Can I say one other thing? Yeah. Go ahead. I've thought about this. Made me think about this with the, okay. uh, just last, but I was thinking, um, a friend of mine does a lot of work with prayer. And I was thinking, I was listening to these, like, you know, different podcasts, modern guys, and different stuff I listen to. And everybody talks about meditation. Mm. You know, we should meditate, we should eat and everything. You know, and I, I'm all into like eating right and all that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. But I was thinking once, you know what? All these people are meditating, okay? And I am baptized and have been covenanted into the deep relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus has come to give me life. And I don't pray enough. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing we, like, one thing that is so important is like, Spending time in in prayer, in in silent prayer, in contemplative prayer, in maybe reading the scriptures, mm-hmm. and then just being quiet, slowing down, because this too is part of our embodied, embedded nature, and that that faith gives us right. One of the effects of faith is that we're that eternal life has begun in us now, mm-hmm. right? It gives us the ability to think clearly and see things as they are. It gives us the ability to resist temptation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so faith uh, means that we're already in relationship with the love and God. And I mm-hmm. think that too is actually so important for Christians yeah. to not just be activists, but yeah. to actually be work on our, 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 our contemplative life. Yeah. Activate well. our faith in liturgy because the contemplative life focuses on that deep focus yeah. rather than that hyper-focus. And that's mm. prayer, yeah. liturgy, right. worship. Yeah. I think by, I put, I would put reading the scriptures in yeah. that. Absolutely. And I also, I think you, you talked about confession yeah. before, like whether, whether that's in the sacramental sense or whether that's in the interpersonal sense, like being fully availed mm-hmm. and vulnerable before another person mm-hmm. who stands like, who, who takes the place of Christ to speak in both grace and, and edification. Like you can be better than that. You're right. Like, as you reflect on that, you can, and the grace of God is with you. You, you could be forgiven. And, and I think too, like this is, I'm, I'm Catholic. We have this tradition called the examination of conscience, but I think mm-hmm. it's, it's across the traditions. Cause you know, as Catholics, we have sacramental confession cause we have a ministerial priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, which someone, when they were coming to the church, like, what do you do? I'm like, it's no big deal. You walk into a black box with somebody you don't know and tell them all the bad things you did. What's wrong? What's wrong? It's simple. Okay. Simple, right? Uh, but, you know, uh, Victor Frankl, who we talked about earlier last week, said, you know, he said, like, people used to go to confession or to their rabbi or whatever. Now they don't. So there's actually more anxiety, right? This goes back to this point. But I think, like, beyond the sacramental confession, there's just doing an examination of conscience and saying, okay, this is what I did. Hmm. I sinned. Right? Yeah. It's my fault. You know, the prayer, right. like, through my yeah. fault, my fault my most grievous fault. Mm, yeah. Okay. And then asking forgiveness, like Psalm 51, right? Mm-hmm. God loves truth in the heart is mm-hmm. what Psalm 51 says, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the prayer of David after he sinned with Bathsheba, create a clean heart in me, have mercy on me. Oh God, God loves truth in the heart. And I think mm-hmm. that's another thing too. That's part of this admitting our faults. Mm-hmm. Don't running away. Don't run away from our faults. I don't want to admit my faults. I don't know about you guys, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I don't want to admit that I did that. And sometimes at night, we're going to be like, I don't even want to think about it. 
Okay. But if you can just admit the fault, okay, I lost patience. I, I was, I committed detraction. I spoke negatively about that person. I didn't have to, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And ask for forgiveness and make amendment to be better and mm -hmm. strive in this like idea of like, I'm on a project of excellence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a, is, gracious, a gracious striving, a gracious yeah. striving. Yeah. Because you're and, and And that when God, he loves truth in the heart, mm -hmm. the commandments are a mercy for us and we just yeah. keep on going. And I right. think that you know, the righteous man sins seven times a day. So I do a lot right. more than that. So we just, I think that's part of that contemplative life that we, right. none, none of this, there, you can't solve the political and social problem or the familial problem or your personal problem. If you also don't have prayer. Yeah. And I think that's just something I think that's implicit. Yeah. We all kind of, and that saves in, you from that utopianism, it. right? Because Absolutely. if you realize that you are not a utopia, that's right. then this idea that you can like create some policy and make the world a utopia yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Right. And so it, 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 yeah, it cures hubris. Yeah. 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 It reminds me of, uh, and it's always good to end a podcast on humility. We will give yes. you the last word. All right. Okay. I'll get the last word. I was just going to say, right. I'm like super humble. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so am I. I mean, the uh, reason I said that actually yeah. was because people are like, wow, he's so proud. And so now yeah. you're thinking uh, I'm proud, which gives me an ability to humble myself. So it's like, go. it was like a really Tricky. super pious yeah. trick. You're, no, okay. I'm sorry. You got me. Go, go um, uh, well, I was just going to say, is what, what it reminds me of is one of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules is just like always tell the truth. And I think, or at least don't lie. And I think that's one thing that I has been important for myself and I think would be important for, for not just my generation, but all people in general is to be honest, not just to everybody else, but to be honest with yourself about what you've done and who you are. Like, I think that's something that yeah. we constantly want to kind of just be like, I'm not going to be totally honest with myself. I'm not going to think about all the stupid things that I've done. And, yeah. um, when you're talking about like being honest in whether it's in prayer and confession to God or wh wherever that is, is, is reflecting on who you are in an honest way so that you can, if you can't stand up for the truth against yourself, right. You'll you're never not, stand up for the truth in the world. Yeah. In the moment when it counts. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Peterson has a wonderful line. It's really struck me when he said, if you tell a lie, it weakens your character. Mm. And when adversity comes, you're going to be crushed. Yeah. I thought that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. It, it distorts your map of the world, mm. you know, and I think that's a very, mm. a, a really good articulation. And yeah. I think it's really important. And then, um, and, but part of knowing who you are is knowing that you actually are a son or daughter of the living God. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. that's important because that, that divine right. filiation, right. Mm -hmm. it is, has to be the ground of mm -hmm. where we are and we go from there. And, and that really is a political question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like we just did like 25 minutes of almost concluding the podcast and then we never did. So I'm going to do it right now. All right. Um, I want to say thank you for coming on this podcast again Delighted and doing you. this. And last week it was, it was very fun. We like these conversations. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's what we'll, we'll wrap it up there. I'm sure. What's your podcast called? If you want to plug oh, yeah. your podcast. The, up moral, imagination. the moral, yeah, imagination. moral Imagination. Hopefully I'll have you. I can have you on. You guys can yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. great. That'd be cool. Okay, well, um, if you're still listening, thank you so much. Make sure you like, subscribe, follow, share this with your friends, and we will see you guys in the next one. And give it a five star review. Give it a five star review. Thank you. And, yeah, and if you have Patreon, support him on Patreon. <laughs> or just send us money um, in any other way. You can way. tell I have a podcast. Like, like, right. Don't forget to say don't, five, there's like a whole five list. star review on Apple Podcasts. There you go. Bingo. We'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. 
If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like those. We hope this episode is helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thank you for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip. Thank you.